0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as co founder at Chaser at Giant Dwarf AU, novelist and co- columnist. I always get that wrong. <laughs> at Daily Life AU, at SBS Life, broadcaster and podcaster. Double disillusionists. R, R, and R. Humans of Twitter is That's their stories. too long, stories. isn't it? <laughs> There's lots going on there. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Dom Knight. Hello, Steve. How are you? Oh, look, I'm doing really well, Dom. After tripping over about 70 times in that intro, I think we got there in the end.
1: What number of Humans of Twitter installment is this?
0: You're 140.
1: That is... Amazingly cool, 140 characters, 140 characters,
0: what what an honour. I know, you've managed to lock it in at a a uniquely significant, yet probably missed by most people, uh, episode.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting thing to be here.
0: (laughs) Dom, can you tell me in social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, Oh gosh, what an incredibly good question. What I do is kind of in a state of flux this year, mm-hmm. hence the very long um, Twitter bio where I'm kind <laughs> of basically plug various projects. I normally prefer things that just say, karaoke, tragic, I had for a while, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I I probably say I'm a writer at the moment. Um, I used to be a radio presenter. I used yes. to work in, in, in the satire industrial complex. Um, but yeah, I think writers are pretty good catch all. So let's go with that
0: a great place to be does that uh present itself well when you're in those social settings uh is it something that people relate to or is it something where they still sort of look at you with that quizzical scratch the head i, I still can't place you is that a job
1: yeah um <laughs> yeah look particularly with my accent i sometimes say writer uh and it sounds as though i'm sort of the man from the snowy river which is not the case um people kind of uh certainly for most of the last decade or so. It's sort of on the way now, but Mm. people were familiar with The Chaser, which I was uh, a very early part of and uh, still am in in many respects. So that's probably the thing that I say if I want people to know what I do, but that's rare. So generally, uh, I don't know, I I don't tend to begin a conversation by going on about, about who I am and what I do. I tend to Try and let my appalling jokes make it clear over the course of the interaction.
0: <laughs> let them speak for themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just the way it goes. But it, it is hard. I mean, a lot of people in the media have this, um, when you wear different hats, different points in time, which one fits. I mean, for the, most of the past five years, I've been a relatively respectable um, ABC broadcaster with all of the uh, editorial neutrality and respectability that that Uh, entails so that and that's still something that I do occasionally so it's a bit weird having opinions some of the time and then squashing them down into nothingness at other points
0: (laughs) putting them in a box and turning the the on-air light on that's right
1: you've got a big red flashing light on the screen here so I'm really not sure uh, what that means in terms of what (laughs) I can say I think I can say anything it's the
0: internet absolutely there's no editorial policies here making sure that you have to be nice and balanced fabulous it's actually it's it's actually quite easy to be balanced. Uh,
1: yes, because if you spend much time around Australian politics, it becomes very hard to believe in any of them. Um, overwhelmingly, <laughs> this is this is the thing. You might have um, some that you dislike more than others, but particularly doing doing the chaser, uh, doing all those mm. election shows. I wasn't part of the last one, but uh, it's always so easy to find things to mock about every group within Australian politics, even. Uh, the sort of or well, perhaps especially the most worthy ones amongst them that it's actually pretty I don't know it's pretty easy to be to be neutral in the sense of giving everyone uh, a, a bit of a go I think that's mm. the best way to ensure you are neutral really
0: you were possibly the only person in the modern comedy uh, Australian comedic scene to not be involved in the chaser's election desk given how long that desk was
1: it was huge wasn't it and and I actually went to the last taping um Last week and got there just slightly too late I might have been able to just sort of dive in at the at the very end of the desk As a sort of an Easter egg for people But as it happened, I was actually away during the election I, I um got married last year and we booked our honeymoon for the cold months here mm. And I thought Malcolm Turnbull would be mad to go to a double dissolution <laughs> uh, And I think that proved to be correct actually So uh, mm. I read the Anthony Green blog post which said If they do that, they'll be worse off in the Senate Because uh, he knew back in April that was the case so I went ahead and booked the holiday thinking, you no know, way, the election will be later in the year. Yeah. And as it turned out, I was away for almost exactly the, the eight weeks of the campaign, which was wonderful in some respects, probably not in a work respect, but definitely in a <laughs> peace of mind and enjoyment respect.
0: That's all right. That's why you employ all of these other chaselings to, uh, to do all of the logging and researching and things. Well,
1: they scurried around delightfully, you know, hassling politicians and, and making mm. jokes. So... Uh, I haven't watched all the series yet, but um, certainly I'm very glad that it... I think it's the sixth election show that we've done, so we've been around for a while.
0: Yeah. Can you pinpoint when in history uh, it became the Chaser Boys or the Boys from the Chaser when at no time ever have you involved with the Chaser ever referred to yourselves as boys?
1: That is such a great question because uh, of course not. Of course not. (laughs) Because like the sort of inner city social conscience uh american sense liberals that we we sort of are in some respects mm. the idea that you would out yourselves as a group of men uh <laughs> would that, you know would be ridiculous that was something we were called early on and i think the only person who's called us it for the past 5 years is is jared henderson uh for the purposes of pointing out that we are no longer boys i think it's Chase the boys average age uh, forty or so. It's probably about forty one or forty two now. Um, yeah. But the, the thing is, why would you do that? Um, we haven't even been spoken about collectively for a while. And of course, the last series, election desk and checkout, have been very uh, gender balanced. I'm very pleased mm. about that. Um, but it was a, a, an awkward thing for a while that arose because we started out editing a satirical newspaper, and um, essentially we got all these people together, many of whom were women, um, many of whom were very talented, and gone on to stand-up careers and all that sort of stuff, and the only people who wanted to put their hands up and ed- uh, edit a newspaper for 90 unpaid editions <laughs> doing all writers <laughs> every fortnight, uh, most of them tended to be guys, and the women that we knew were far too sensible to um, to get involved in that ridiculous endeavour.
0: And here we are. And here we yeah.
1: are. Um, fortunately, we subsequently found... Um, Uh, other very talented women who um, are are willing to be part of the slightly less thankless version of of what the chaser is today where there's actually jobs and stuff. So, no, I'm really proud of how uh, my colleagues have have brought people in and I guess mentored them a bit. The the pitch was always to do for others what Andrew Denton did for us when we started out by Mm. helping us get stuff made, helping uh, I think the contract said uh, uh, defend us from non-essential dickheads. Um, That was his pitch. (laughs) So his his pitch was always, we'll, um, I'll deal with the network and we'll just make whatever TV we want to make. And when you've got someone like Andrew in your corner, uh, that's actually possible. It's the best offer I've ever received in my life.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's such a great legacy that you guys have uh, to carry on as well. Well, he said
1: it was done for him too. When he started out, there were some great producers. I think Mark Fitzgerald, who we've worked with as well. Uh, who was very in- involved in the early days of Rage. I think it's actually him screaming in the Rage titles. Uh, he um, he and some others did that for Andrew when Andrew started out, when he was just a young boy genius from indoor, indoor cricket before he became the social conscience of a nation and started doing podcasts about euthanasia. Uh, yes, he so he said, I want to do the same thing for you. I'll deal with ABC management. And now it's really Julian who does that with with the Chaser Productions. He's the, ones who, he's the one who has the meetings with executives whenever there are, the regular issues that crop up and it's very valuable to have someone who's willing to do that um, because that that means the writer's room can simply think about what, uh, what content we think is best rather than worrying about the legal, ethical, moral, practical, potential scandal issues that might come out of it.
0: Yeah well it would be a minefield I'm sure. Modern satire and the editorial policies of the ABC I would expect are not excellent bedfellows. Well actually it's been pretty good
1: to be honest. I mean the <clears throat> the ABC board uh, under the Howard period, in the Howard period, often got criticised for being fairly one sided. You had your um, mm-hmm. Janet Albrecht and uh, Keith Winshot, all those sorts of people. But they actually put through some changes to the editorial policies, which were brilliant for The Chaser. They removed the requirement that uh, shows like ours go through a filter for bias. They realised it was mm-hmm. untenable to. Um, try and add up the minutes on each side for a satire show. So we got a lot of protection, um, interestingly enough, when we were doing that sort of right. stuff. And the ABC have brilliantly, and, and to their eternal credit, they've tended not to interfere in terms of what's funny. That's generally mm. made by the the writers' room, those sorts of calls. Um, during most of the Chaser shows, and I'm talking about things like War and Everything and, and Hamster Wheel and, and uh, the early election shows, yes. it was essentially we all got a vote. And whatever got, up, whatever got up in the writer's room almost always um, got up. Now, sometimes it was too expensive. Sometimes it did violate editorial policies, but that was rare. So the ABC was and I'm sure remains an excellent place to make the sort of TV that we make. They actively encouraged us to push the envelope. And I remember in the first meeting we had with Sandra Levy when she ran the television department, she said, well, wow, the yeah. making this program is going to get me huge heat from Canberra. Uh, all the politicians are going to give me, you know, this, this... All kinds of stickers you're going to go out and hassle them on the campaign trail that's fine I'll handle that you go and do your thing so Great. it's a really good place to make TV and, and there's a reason why uh, so much of the innovative comedy in this country possibly almost all of it really has come through the ABC in the past 20 years or so
0: yeah well it's it's such a rare thing to see uh, a commercial you know comedy sketch satire or otherwise uh, appear on your seven nine or ten. Uh, and when Foxtel last did it they didn't do so great.
1: It is difficult and I guess it depends what your priorities are I mean commercial stations um, either want you not to offend their sponsors and we did so many McDonald's jokes on the war and everything It's <laughs> we constantly doing yes. pranks in McDonald's um, <laughs> and the only problem we had with ABC was just not um, identifying them too much and you know so, so the, it's terrible when a commercial station says don't um, offend our sponsor, but the worst thing which we once ran into in the in the radio context when doing some commercial radio, is when sponsors do want you to come and do pranks in their huh. in their place, and oh, why don't you come up with a hilarious joke that highlights our new range of whatever it is, and that <laughs> no. that is just the worst thing in the world. So commercial TV, somehow in the states, they're very good at making innovative, bold comedy shows, but here. Mm. Probably, with the exception of the project, which I think has been a brilliant experiment by channel Ten and mm. um, continually consistently provides some of the best both current affairs and and humor uh, around i don't know why the other others haven't tried to copy that, but anyway um that that sort of stands out as a as a rare beacon in terms of really great comedy on australian TV but well, probably ronnie john's on Channel yep. 10, a lot of those people have gone on to really incredible things. But so long ago, though. So long ago. Why? It's not that expensive. I mean, we worked for nothing in the early days, practically. Mm. Um, so I, why not give it a go? And, and the thing is, comedy does cut through. People share that content in this new world of ours where um, it's all about finding stuff that, that goes, inverted commas, viral. Comedy does. Mm. So uh, given that things like The Tonight Show have turned into essentially viral clip factories... I'm surprised no one's doing that here.
0: Yes. Gosh. And, and when you think back to things uh, at the risk of being TV nerdish, um, things like Hungry Beast, mm. which spawned some amazing talent that now exists all over the place, not least of which is a part of The Chaser, um, that for mine, I see that as one of the first instances of a modern Australian TV show that was built to be shared.
1: Yes. And and in a sense, that was the the, the strength down the floor of Hungry Beast. Uh, it was a program that never really knew what it was, mm. even after it had a couple of seasons in. So that was what Andrew did after working with us. His next project was to try and find a whole bunch of other talented comedy people with some runs on the board. And he wanted to work with people who weren't a group in the way that, that we were. And I think he found that the group dynamic that we had a bit difficult to deal with. I mean, Relatively speaking, you know, it was fine, but I, th- I think he, he used to say you can't do comedy by committee, which is gen- entirely what Chaser is. So that, that, um, that was Hungry Beast was an attempt to do something different from that. And it just is incredible, that the, the talent-picking ability that he had and the team he worked with, people like Andy Neal, who's done a lot of Chaser shows as mm-hmm. well, um, they really found some incredible people going on to do, to do brilliant stuff. And I didn't catch a lot of Hungry Beast in the form of whole episodes, But I watched a lot of the stuff, as you say, online going viral. And these days, a lot of those people work on the feed, on SBS2. Now, I don't think a lot of Mm. people sit down and watch SBS2 of an evening. But their content is all over the internet. And that's how I see it. And I love it.
0: Yes. In fact, um, uh, executive producer of the feed, Nick Hayden, has just moved to the ABC um, to do a whole bunch of EP stuff, which is such a great get by the ABC. That's awesome. That is
1: a good get. Yeah, Nick's very, very sharp. He's... um, uh, been a big part of the feed's success. So, and as as is always the case, there'll be a lot of toing and froing between ABC and SBS. I and mean, Mark Fennell kind of works for all of them mm. all the time. So, uh, Dan, I don't Dan think Litch he stops well. working. No, he 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 gave me very good advice actually um, a couple of years ago, which I'm now trying to implement. Which is always have two or three jobs because you might lose a couple, but you'll always have one still going. So, it's very good advice for the modern media industry. Everything's so uncertain. You may as well go with it and embrace that. What's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> um, possibly. Well, it used to be your song by Elton John. Now I think nice. it's "Hold the Line" by Toto. Oh, you've got to have a oh. lot of passion on the table. You you can't hold back. You gotta you gotta throw it all into the mix.
0: It's not the way that you hold me, Dom. The
1: stabbing keyboard uh, riff in that—it's just brilliant. There's no way it won't get everyone everyone up dancing. It used to be Toto's "Africa." But then I yep. discovered Hold the Line and um, it's it's pretty... I mean, Rosanna's good too. They're, they're essentially a karaoke band before karaoke even existed.
0: Killer, killer studio <laughs> musos brought together to make a cracking 80s rock band. So good. It was brilliant.
1: Long long may oh. they reign in the in the tiny booths of, uh, of, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of of Asia.
0: If there's no Toto, do you fall back to Elton John?
1: Oh, look, sometimes... Um, Uh, Right Here Waiting by Richard Marks gets a workout. It comes a moment, probably about an hour and a half in, where there's a little bit of a lull, and that's when you bring out the power ballads, I feel. Nice.
0: Insert your own wind machine, long hair, it's on. I had long hair, it's been a while.
1: Um, I used to do on the radio show that I did on on 702 in Sydney for a few years, there was a segment called The Wheel of Cheese, where um, you had to guess a, a cheesy song every night in our quiz. And what I loved about that was that to get it right, you had to slightly embarrass yourself that you recognised this song. (laughs) It's a beautiful genre. I do love it. Cheesy music is um, one of the great delights of my life.
0: That and the novelty single are things that I think have really slinked out of uh, the modern music um, sort of experience, haven't they? It's true. The novelty single really is not
1: um, what it used to be. Uh, One Hit Wonders are are a great um, love of mine as well. And One Mm. of my mates, Chris Coleman, who used to run the ABC station in Wagga, he has an amazing collection of them and knowledge of them. I think he should do a book one of these days. But yeah, back in the day, there were heaps of y- y- Kylie Mole, Colin, uh, Con the Fruiterer. Of course, mm. even Andrew Denson did that one, uh, as long as we beat New Zealand. And uh, yes. these days, lots of songs on the charts are by One Hit Wonders, some sort of loose collective put together in a studio. But you don't get comedians recording
0: records anymore. I can't remember the last time someone did it. We're probably overdue, surely. Yeah, I think the last comedy single was probably "Bloke," wasn't it? And before that, "Australiana." Oh, really? "Bloke," that's at least a decade old. I know. I don't think we've had. We. I don't think we've had one since. Not really. Lindsay
1: McDougall from from Triple J, the Doctor, did a um, a Christmas number one uh, a couple of years ago, which which um, was a lot of fun. But not really. A, it's it's the character based ones that I love. It's the ones where. Um, oh, it's Kylie Mole, and she's got all of her catchphrases, and the song is so excellent. Or even Do the Batman, which is one of the worst things The Simpsons ever done, and apparently written by Michael Jackson.
0: Yeah, the album itself that it comes from is excellent. <laughs> and it is, yeah, the Do the Batman would be the least good song on that it's album.
1: Really I should go back and listen to the rest of it. It's, it's songs in the Key of Springfield or something? What's it called?
0: The I record? I think that was the, it could be, it might have been the second album. The first one, I think, was just called The Simpsons, but it might be that. Yeah. I'll go and check it out. But so, much, so much good work for so long and, and Do the Bartman's probably the worst <laughs> I've ever done. How, how can you go past things like some Mix-a-Lots, um, I Like Big Butts, um, even the Naxx, My Sharona, they're classics for mine.
1: Oh, If we're talking karaoke in particular, I've got a friend who memorised uh, Baby's Got Back and, and basically brings it out every time we do yes. karaoke. Yeah, and that brings that dilemma of being a bit good, and this is the thing that, that is always tough with karaoke, particularly in Australia. I mean, I, I feel that when I've done it um, in places like Japan, everyone's kind of just trying to do a good job. But it's, mm. it's also ironic in Australia that you can't really, if you know all the words the baby's got back, it, seem, it seems that maybe you've studied them. And I, I wonder if that's, you don't want to try too hard at karaoke. You want to be effortlessly excellent.
0: Yes. It's like the people that know all the words to ice, ice, baby.
1: I think I still do, but that—that was—I did that the hard way. I—I I, that was when I was a teenager, just just trying to um, perfect the whole thing. I still didn't like it even then. But uh, mm. young MC's bust a move. Now that—that's one that I know. Yes, of a certain age, that that lives on in your heart forever.
0: Yeah, YouTube that kids It is a brilliant song.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: What is your superpower, Dom?
1: My superpower is probably, if it's anything, it's probably... Uh, I have two. One of them is probably just sheer amount of time being connected to the internet. It's I've been walking around playing Pokemon Go the past few days, which is just um, doing my head in, in all kinds Glad in all you brought that up, yes. Um, so we'll get on to that. But but just mm. basically being on Twitter constantly. In it, I, I've i essentially banished boredom from my life, but I, I think I'm now completely addicted to being online it's probably fairly unhealthy but then the other um, superpower that I had which was very useful when we were doing a newspaper was uh, recognising fonts that was always my, my thing if we were doing a parody, right. a parody of a newspaper we had to work out exactly what the font was so that was always my I, I was known as font boy I'll have you know in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the chase of days the, 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 the caring likes of Craig Rucastle would go font, font boy come over here what's this <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't know have the right font, it doesn't look quite doesn't look perfect.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. It can look close, but it's, something is off. It's true. It's true. Um
1: but no, Pokemon Go, I just I don't know, it's it's tough because I I just I've spent about ten hours playing it every day this week, mm-hmm. I think, so far. And on the one hand It's amazing and revolutionary. I've never seen a game like it before. And the fact that you go outside and you go to new places and you explore your city is wonderful. On the other hand, it's incredibly boring. And I'm (laughs) waiting for the penny to drop. I've got this theory that it's got about two or three months in it because it's just the same thing. I've caught more than 100 bloody zoo bats and it's exactly (laughs) – there's nothing more to do. You've got to throw a ball at them. They jump up and down a bit. And then when you get to higher levels, they jump out of the ball even when you've hit them. That's it, unless you have the stamp collectors' nerdy delight of ticking off every two hundred Pokemon or whatever it is.
0: What what else is there to do? It's dull. It's very dull. I'm going to reveal that I know more about Pokemon Go than I wanted to admit. Oh, really? Isn't well, I, and I'm not playing it. I just this is from what I've read and, and trying to keep abreast. Of there are t- a lot of articles
1: called... that everyone's got a hot take on. J- John oh, Birmingham weird. wrote a very funny parody of uh, a Pokemon mm. Go hot take, which. Uh, made me decide not to write the article I was planning to write because it, it was going to be exactly that. Um, yeah, but if you're across really pop culture, good. this week there's nothing else to talk about at all. This, oh. it, it may be only this week, Steve. It, this might be a bit of a time capsule, the one week when the world pretty much stopped and played Pokemon the entire week.
0: Yep, very much so. In fact, when uh, you know, a national news service followed by its current affairs program both run stories on Pokemon Go. Um, you know that it's a hit a point where it's not quite finishing, but it's getting to that point where yeah, it's a thing that everyone has to report on but no one really understands. Um once you collect the Pokemon, aren't you then meant to go and meet other trainers and battle your Pokemon and go to a no, gym. It's worse that than that.
1: Stuff? It's it's no fun at all. It's um so the gyms are major locations. So where they mm. are in here there's one in Hyde Park at the obelisk and so on. So I was up there this morning trying to to win the gym but my pokemon aren't aren't strong enough but i tried to figure out how you win the gym basically once you win the won the gym your pokemon sit there until they're dethroned so it's not a live battle in any way and the the best technique i found online for how to win a gym is simply to randomly mash the screen and swipe it and whatever and and i tried to do that today and that worked a lot better than my previous efforts it's just not really very fun um the The only thing is the collecting, but even the collecting is frustrating because you keep getting the same things um, over and over again. So Mm. I just, if I, if I, I'm at the point now where if I see another Zubat, I'm gonna have to throw my phone.
0: At the core of it, though, that's just it. It is just about collecting the, you know, the three hundred and something different Pokemon, isn't
1: it? I, I, I guess, and that's never been a thing that I was into. Pokemon for me was the first craze that. I didn't entirely understand. And I I know that, you know, collector cards and so on, we're all into that kind of mm. thing. But this seems, I don't know, it's just wandering around till the, till the algorithm randomly decides to serve you up whatever the thing is that you're missing. Doesn't really seem fun to me. But look, maybe I'm too old for it. Or maybe I'm just jaded by having spent most of this week um, playing Pokemon Go.
0: <laughs> the images and, and footage of, without being kidding hundreds of people collecting in areas all staring at their phones and talking to each other about how do i get this where do i find the such and such that that has just floored me like if someone had said the pokemon go is a thing i would have said sure it's just a thing whatever but to see actual journalists standing in front of an area in the open where there are people who would not normally go Mm. outside standing there trying to catch a pokemon Amazes me I
1: saw um, photos of an area no- uh, called Rhodes in Sydney's inner west um, And mm. there's lots of apartments there and there's a shopping mall I-, I can't confirm the photo But it looked as though there were hundreds and hundreds of people there last night and uh, Sort of congregated in this square Making so much noise that people in the apartment started water bombing them uh, and it was very cold <laughs> in Sydney last night. So it sounds terrible. I Gosh. went for a walk. I can admit at 1030 last night, I went for a walk. It's not something I normally do. It was very cold last night, but I just wanted to go mm. for an inverted comma stroll, stretch my legs. And uh, my wife said, Oh, you're playing Pokemon. And I was like, mm, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. You've got me. So I went for this walk and it was insane because I kept passing people playing. Um, you can sort of see the, the green glow of their screen, and that's the telltale as, as they walk past you. And there are various points where I stopped, and there were other people playing and congregating in these the bouncers outside a hotel, or the, the, the doormen were kind of going, "Yep, yeah, now are a poker site or whatever it's called, poker stop." G'day uh, hey, hey, guys, just you know, keep the door clear. And it's, it's just as though the entirety of, of, of Sydney last night was was doing this thing. It was as though we were all watching the same TV program. But it wasn't. We weren't actually sharing in the moment. We were just all in our own little poker world, and so I don't know. It, it's I wish it was more communal. I wish you could gather in a place and there were other people there, and um, it would work. My theory is that the next couple of the next version of this, or in a couple of versions' time, it's going to be really amazing. But as yet, no.
0: It's it's honestly amazed me. I, I look at well the fact that people are getting outside. They have to walk around. Yes, that that, is, that a is a good thing. Way. That there's. Positive outcome: people getting some some exercise indirectly that they probably didn't realise they were doing. That's good. Yep. Um, adding, you know, reportedly billions of dollars to Nite- Nintendo. Nine share price. nine
1: billion dollars, apparently. Um, which I suspect will just it will just drop off uh, fairly soon. Yeah. But no, it's um, it is incredible, and Nintendo's struggled to work out how to make it in the smartphone era, and and they certainly have. I just think um, I mean having seen a great piece on BuzzFeed today about the ones that are there in in parliament. (laughs) It's just incredible. They've somehow got this this map of everywhere. And when you think that, I think Australia and the US are the only places, as at this point in time, where you can play. People are hacking in to try and play. It's just bizarre.
0: I think it was launched in New Zealand a couple of days before it launched here. And there was all these complaints about how they got it before we got it. And it started to, and then it just sort of happened. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's it's a huge it's a huge thing. I'm amazed that I have seen signs, and I'm I'm going to say I guess they're authentic, that that businesses have put up. The Pokemon inside this whatever it mm. is are for paying customers only. <laughs>
1: I don't know what the I hell about that. I've been seeing cafes have the little logo, and um, are trying to do sort of cash in trade. But um, no, look, it, it is this. Bizarre cultural moment, I suspect isn't going to last, but I might be wrong. This might be the new normal. Um, and this week, supposedly, the number of uh, active users on Pokemon Go surpassed the number of active users on Twitter. So maybe, Steve, um, you'll shut this podcast down. Maybe this will be the last episode and it will be humans of uh, <laughs> trainers of Pokemon Go <laughs> in future. That might be where you need to go.
0: No, that won't but happen. T- Twitter, but
1: I mean, Twitter has the beauty of it that t- Twitter just. Um, reflects whatever's happening now, whatever that might be. Mm, so yes. it, it's an endlessly interesting and constantly renewed thing. Um, I, I think it's unlikely I'll get sick of it any time soon. So more than I can say for, for most things on the internet.
0: <laughs> Are you doing what Dom in year 11 thought he would be doing?
1: That's a very good question. I, th- I think uh, the year 11 version of me probably would have been in, in two minds. I mean, back then I was already doing some of the kinds of things that have become a career for me. I was spending mm. a lot of time with, uh, with Chaz Lichdello, who was my, my best mate back then, Charles Firth as well. We would do every activity at school, so acting and publications mm. and debating, all this sort of, all this sort of stuff. Um, so, But I think I thought I'd have a more serious career. I think I thought I'd be some kind of respectable profession. Um, but I spent so much time doing things that weren't that and never really paid that much attention to the proper business of school that it kind of makes sense that I've ended up doing what I'm doing so there is a continuous line really between year seven and today of just being kind of the same person and I even go back and and read the stuff that I wrote back in um in high school and it's kind of similar in its tone it's I haven't progressed very much I fear in all these years I
0: I don't know well I think that we get to benefit from you know, how how you've progressed. The, I don't think, for example, you wouldn't have got your role on the ABC hosting evenings had you not progressed.
1: Well, that's true in a way. I mean, the, the, the Chaser now, um, let me do the maths, it's it's just had its 17th birthday since we started the wow. newspaper. So that was in 1999. So when I think about that and think of all the TV projects that we've done and look at the number of episodes that we've pumped out, which is just massive, I think there was something like 100 episodes of uh, war and Everything or something like that, uh, alone, let alone the other things. And it just, that is just, just ridiculous. It makes me think that there's a lot of time that's passed. But I'm kind of in the same part of Sydney doing the same kind of things with the same people and that makes me feel occasionally <laughs> like an adolescent. So I don't know, you do <coughs> see that things have progressed. I'm, I'm probably, I wasn't um, a great performer starting out with The Chaser. It's one of the reasons I wasn't on the TV show. One of the one of the main reasons was that with five guys or six guys we, we didn't need a seventh so uh mm-hmm. being the the weakest in the litter you know you're always likely to, to miss out a bit but um so I'm glad that that I've progressed in that sense and doing the radio show was just an absolute delight but um yeah I, I kind of think year 11 me would would not be hugely surprised by the way things probably the opportunities that have come my way many of these things I've had to pinch myself and not be able to believe that, that I'm getting to do what I'm doing. But It's all in the same sort of vein. If I was in year eleven now, I'm sure I would have started a podcast.
0: (laughs) I hear there's one going for trainers of Pokemon Go. I I? I wouldn't
1: be at all surprised. Yeah, it's it's a great space. It's funny because it's been it's been going for so many um, years. You know, podcasting it even gets its name from a technology that's kind of defunct now, the iPod. But it Mm. just it feels like in the past twelve months, it's really sort of it's really started to penetrate into. The mass consciousness in some way. It's not just a way of catching up on radio programmes. It's a way of um, just discovering original content. And I've I've loved being able to play around in this being able to play around in this space in the past twelve months. Mm. It's been wonderful.
0: Yeah, it is a bunch of fun. I, I put it to you that it is no coincidence that nineteen ninety nine, critical year in Australian media, Benita Collings and John Hamblin finish up on Play School, the Chaser starts. What are here. Yeah,
1: and, and all of the that was a year where every single article was either about the Y2K bug, or just um, end of millennium, millennium, or arguing about what the end of the millennium actually meant. It was it was a huge year for me. It was um, uh, what happened? I was uh, just started my full time study at, at law school, so that was um, mm-hmm. a very good year to find ways of not being a lawyer. There were some <laughs> some tough things personally that year. My brother had uh, brain surgery, which has been very public about. My brother's a painter. Uh, and that was a yes. really tough time for, for our family. So 99 was a weird year. I was editing on his at the university as well, at the University of Sydney. So heaps happening um, in, in all aspects of my life. And it was a very, very difficult year emotionally. But uh, The Chaser was just delightful and, and, and lots of fun from the, from the get-go. And I can't believe it still exists in The Chaser quarterly that Charles is um, still putting together. Mm.
0: Yeah, a great read too. It's that's a bunch of. Fun. I'm gonna get on
1: board with that. I've got to, got a bit of time now, so I can um, go back to making uh, making irresponsible jokes with Charles, like we did all the way back in our school newspaper in uh, in high school. It's a long time ago.
0: <laughs> Where is the line between public and private for you? Hmm, that's
1: a really good question because I'm quite a private person. I think. Um, since I've been writing for for daily life, I've had, I've had this column that I've done for Fairfax's site since it started about mm-hmm. um, four and a half years ago, and I think I've kind of created a, a version of private for public consumption. And then I did that with radio as well. We you, you're talking about things in your life. I talked about getting married and all this kind of stuff, but it's yes. very much um, curated, is the way to put it. I don't, mm. I don't. Think, uh, I really don't like wearing my heart on my sleeve. I, even though on Twitter I'm just constantly saying what's on my mind and what's going on and commenting, it, it's rarely if I'm having a rough day I won't talk about that or if I'm having a great day mm-hmm. or if I had a huge personal person I probably won't talk about that either. I don't think that's appropriate. I find it kind of weird people who um, play out all these things in public space. Some of them I enjoy and I'm grateful for but, yeah, for me... Possibly because we started out in um, in a world with The Chaser where we were all really interchangeable. No one knew who any of us were. And also yes. we didn't put bylines on things. Um, so it was all very much about the, the, the product and not the person. I think probably with radio, I probably should have put more of myself out there when I was doing the evening show. I don't know. But um, yeah, so for me, it's an important line and it's one that I don't... And I don't have children, but if I did, I think I would... Um, be very very circumspect about bringing them into into discussions
0: sure it was wonderful to read uh you wrote a piece about um the process of getting married for you and what that entailed that was marvelous that was
1: a lot of fun that was um that was the thing i wrote for for daddy life last year having written many mopey articles about being single and wanting children all this kind of stuff (laughs) for years i think it was i thought it was only fair that i that I bring that up, plus um, 702 went to town a little bit uh, on it and I didn't even know how much they were going to, the multiple calls going in to producers who were at the wedding. So the reason it was interesting was not, nothing to do with me, it was because of where we got married. My, my wife, Divya, and I got married in, in uh, South India in, in a city called Chennai, one of the biggest cities mm. in India, formerly known as Madras, and it was uh, a, a South Indian Hindu wedding of uh, what is known as the Iyengar tradition. Um, within uh, Tamil Nadu, and which is the state. And it was just extraordinary. It was three days. I arrived yeah. uh, on the back of a bullet cart with dancing and musicians and all this kind of stuff. And um, the ceremony was, was just extraordinary. I don't quite know what I was saying because it was all in Sanskrit, but it was mm. an incredible experience. My wife changed saris about five or six times. Um, I just sat there being unable to... to um, believe my my great fortune having so many so many friends and family there too it was just wonderful i've, I've never seen anything like an indian wedding and to get to be in one was very wow. special so the photos are the photos are really i think we got 2000 photos from the photographer and that's great. that wasn't everything those were the those were the selected highlights so it really was quite wow. extraordinary
0: yeah it it is incredible but to hear your were to read your personal take on it here and then it, it must have been, um, it's obviously a fish out of water scenario, something that isn't a daily occurrence in Australia. Um, but to do that and to be the focus of that would be. It was very strange. Insanity. Yeah. You see
1: photos of me sitting in the middle of the stage and just, I don't know what I'm thinking. Probably just about, that. but it it was really wonderful and the the show that the the party that my relatives put on uh my my mother and father-in-law in in Chennai they really pulled all stops out it was quite a small wedding by Chennai standards my sister-in-law had 1500 Gosh. guests and hers and ours was only oh, wow. something like three or four hundred but um I say only that was just a huge number but um yeah it, it really was quite uh a phenomenal thing. And, Having not known if I was going to meet someone or get married, you know, I got married when I was 30, 38 and a half or something. I feel like, uh, you know, a, a cricketer who's only gotten picked in the team very, very late in his career and then mm. come out and scored a century on debut. It was just an extraordinary thing.
0: How did you meet your wife?
1: Uh, I met her just at a, at a party um, yeah. in Sydney. Uh, she she works um, She works in the media as well, and just mutual friends, and old school friend actually. And, and my philosophy was always go to every party you get invited to because you, you never know who you'll meet and it um, mm-hmm. it came good. And then some. It really did. No. So, um, yeah, I, I feel still <laughs> enormously fortunate that, that that all happened. And, um, yeah, it took, it took a while, but um, uh, many good things uh, are worth waiting for, I guess.
0: Congratulations to you, Dom. Many people make it through life without finding someone special to spend any time with, let alone to get to the point where they can go and be involved in a, a huge wedding ceremony in India. It really was quite quite extraordinary. I, yeah,
1: so I, I feel very fortunate. That was uh, that made the second half of last year just mind blowing, really. And twenty sixteen has been a funny old year, but um, I it's almost coming up to the first anniversary, so we'll pull out the the massive number of DVDs that they gave us and, and relive really <laughs> some of that uh, some of that very special day.
0: What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months?
1: You know, I have absolutely no idea. I am um, at a point in my career where um, I stopped doing the evening show partly because mm. getting married, it just seemed unsustainable to have it to do a show where I got home at 10.30 every night and um, talked to her for a few minutes before she went to sleep when I couldn't for a couple of hours after that. Um, I'd like to do more things in, in the world of radio. I don't know exactly what. Um, in the meantime, podcasting is something that I definitely want to want to get into. And I keep filling in at the ABC. I'm, uh, but for the next couple of days, I'm going in and doing some work there, and I was there on the weekend as well. So I'll probably keep my hand in. I'd like mm. to try and write another book at some point. Uh, I've done three novels, and I want to try and do something in that, in that world soon um and it'd be nice to find some way of, of reconnecting a bit with the, with the Chase of Family because um mm. I really haven't seen that much of them in the past nearly 5 years now so it'd be good to go back and uh, and rediscover the joys of of sitting in a little room making one another laugh because that's how the whole thing started
0: <laughs> hey dom yeah thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today please know the things that you have said are very special and you're highly valued thank you thank you very
1: much steve it's really nice to be able to to discuss things uh, with someone that i i feel i know quite well from from the world of twitter but f- more than 140 characters at a
0: time you're very generous thank you so much you are obviously a tweeting person are there other social accounts you would want people to know about your pokemon trainer <laughs> name. i don't
1: think that's shareable um facebook <laughs> uh, i've got a facebook page we've got our podcast. The Double Disillusionists, oh, we just did a big, big live election special and the other one that I do, Rub Rebels and Ratbags, History One, I hope that'll come back again at some point. Uh, LinkedIn I hate, so I recently wrote a piece on LinkedIn about how much I hated it, but most of my writing, if you want to know more, um, it's almost all stored at domnight.com. so you can go and wander through there at the terrible jokes I've made over a couple of decades.
0: This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at domknight is indeed human. <laughs> Thank you very much.